Welcome to the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Friday, June 23rd. I'm Andrew Walworth. On Tuesday, the president's son, Hunter Biden, was charged with two federal misdemeanor counts of failing to pay back taxes following a five-year investigation by the Justice Department. He'll be arraigned on July 26th when he is expected to plead guilty, and he still faces a felony gun possession charge, but that looks like it will be worked out as well. While there are questions as to whether this closes the Hunter Biden investigation, his lawyers say it is now resolved, the political fallout will certainly continue at least through the 2024 elections. Also this week, California Congressman Adam Schiff became only the 25th member to be censored by the House as Republicans objected to comments he made about the Trump-Russia investigation. And former President Barack Obama is back in the political limelight, raising questions about whether he will outshine his former vice president. Joining me to talk about all this are Tom Bevan, president and co-founder of Real Clear Politics, Carl Cannon, Washington Bureau Chief, and national correspondent Susan Crabtree. So Tom Hunter Biden's lawyer, Chris Clark, he said, it is my understanding that the five-year investigation into Hunter is now resolved, but at least politically, that surely won't be the case. What do you make of this agreement? And can the White House now relax and put this in the rearview mirror? Well, I don't think so. Look, there was a lot of debate about this. And certainly on the right, folks saw this as a sort of sweetheart deal. We ran some pieces from folks like Harry Lippman in, in the Los Angeles Times and and other pieces saying this wasn't a sweetheart deal. Um, but here's the reason it's not going away. On Thursday afternoon, the Ways and Means Committee released the transcript of the IRS whistleblower, okay, which went through and documented all of the ways that the Justice Department and the higher-ups at the IRS uh, and the FBI and DOJ dragged their feet on this case, failed to take action, um, all sorts of things. And included in that is perhaps one of the, one of the pieces of that that's getting the most attention is this. Uh, the whistleblower says that they obtained a, a July 30th, 2017 WhatsApp message from Hunter Biden to Henry Zhao, who was like a Chinese national who they were doing, doing business with, where he wrote, I am sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand, and now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will make certain between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Now that would seem to be direct evidence contradicting uh, the claim that Biden has made and repeated for years that he never had any discussions whatsoever with Hunter about his business dealings. And there's more. There's, There's more in this that really raises questions about, again, Joe Biden's complicity in the business dealings, and again, the the actions or lack thereof of the uh, agencies of the government. And again, this is all this is all in 2018, 2019. The FBI verified that they had the laptop and that it was legitimate. And none of this stuff. It was all kicked past the 2020 election. So, uh, you know, I think this is all going to be litigated publicly. There'll be more um, hearings on this. So this story is not going away, even though the plea deal is struck and, you know, everybody wants to think that, uh, or at least, you know, Hunter Biden and all of Biden's allies want to think that this is the end of it. I don't think it is. 
Yeah, Carl, I'm sort of struck. I mean, by focusing on this being a sweetheart deal and him getting off on these particular charges, which I think sort of lends itself to that defense that, you know, this was from uh, James Zirin in The Hill. He said, Hunter Biden is more to be pitied than censured. A recovering drug addict, he faces a problem in common with millions of Americans. And that narrative can apply to these charges of tax fraud or even the gun charge. But are the Republicans not focusing on these sort of larger questions of influence peddling and working as an illegal foreign agent? Are they sort of missing that as they sort of go after this narrative that there's a double standard around these more narrow charges? Well, Andy, those two things aren't, aren't mutually exclusive. I think the Republicans are talking about the double standard. And, and, and specifically, the Democrats have all of these, these talking points that repeat them faithfully. The press, large sections of the press repeat them like, you know, tr- like one of them is that Hunter Biden was late in paying his taxes back. Well, no, he, this investigation found that he had not filed taxes and that they were in excess of $100,000 two year running, two years running. That's called income tax evasion. Uh, it's a felony. Is that he paid back the money? Yeah. Okay. Well, they didn't. The Justice Department did not give Paul Manafort an opportunity to pay back the money he owed when he was convicted of back taxes. And that investigation didn't take five years. It took less than a year. Um, Likewise, Paul Manafort was charged with a felony and served prison time for not registering as a foreign agent. Hunter Biden was clearly acting as a foreign agent by his, I don't think that's in dispute, never charged with that. So I don't think the question is what the Republicans are pressing. The question is, what Americans are starting to ask themselves, and the Republicans are saying, Representative Comer is saying it, do we have two standards of justice? Has the FBI and the Justice Department in the last uh, you know, seven years become so politicized that um, it, depending on whether there's a D or an R after your name, you're, you're treated differently. You're given a diversion program and called courageous by the President of the United States, uh, a, a talking point repeated verbatim on the House floor, courageous. Hunter Biden is courageous. Paul Manafort is a scumbag and a felon for the same actions, the same crimes. I think that's the bigger question. And that's what Tom was alluding to. Now, Tom, in terms of that um, Instagram that you met, you know, it's quite possible. And we don't, you and I don't know the answer. And this may be unknowable that Hunter Biden was lying to his Chinese businessman and he was not sitting with Joe Biden. Um, It does not prove in itself that Biden was there or that Biden was in on all these deals, all of these emails that Hunter Biden sends talking about the big guy, it, it certainly sounds suspicious. And you'd think Joe Biden would be called on by the press and even his own political party to answer them instead of just saying, those are stupid questions or whatever happy horseshit he's been saying about them. Um, I've, I could talk about Hunter Biden for the whole hour, but let me, uh, Andy, let me make one other thing clear. And it's a question I have. I don't have the answer. Hunter Biden's lawyer said the investigation is resolved. The prosecutor says the investigation continues. And I think what the American people would like to know, which is it? Yeah, I think that's fair. Susan, how big a problem is this for the White House? And how are they reacting to this news? Well, basically, uh, how they've always reacted, uh, President was asked about this, you know, this, this result, whether it's all resolved now. And he says, I'm really proud of my son. Uh, there's also... Uh, articles out that are saying that he was very concerned about this for months on end, talked to Hunter on a daily basis, was worried that this was the stress was going to re-trigger his drug addiction. And so, you know, he's always said uh, his son has done nothing wrong. Well, here we know that, yes, he didn't file his taxes for two years. Uh, He had a gun charge. 
that is a felony, but he can go to a diversion program. The concern that I think is out there is that uh, there is a lot of smoke still out there regard, regarding linking this to the big guy. Who is the big guy? Uh, is it President Biden himself? When his his attorney, Hunter Biden's attorney, said that this is now uh, resolved, he was asked whether was he was ever asked about the contents of the laptop. And he said he had no recollection of ever being asked. I think it's really strange if you know anything about what's on that laptop. Why did it take five years for this investigation to take place? I think someone wrote it was they could have H&R Block could have wrapped this up in six months uh, or maybe even shorter. So why did it take so long? And why was the content on the laptop? There is a diamond, a up to about $80,000. We don't know how the carat weight of it. It's been debated. But he accepted this diamond. We're not hearing anything about that in the resolution of this case. Did he pay taxes on that diamond? Where's the diamond now? It came up in his divorce proceedings. His ex-wife wanted to know where the diamond was. Uh, He never has said he didn't. He said he passed it along to a fellow associate. So, you know, that's the kind of level of why would you take a, a diamond from a Chinese national, if your father is who he is, and think that that is okay. And why are we not hearing anything more uh, about that right now? I used to cover uh, FARA before it was cool. Um, Nobody seemed to care about the Foreign Registration Act. I'm sure, uh, Carl, you've had experiences where you went in there and they were on file. They were paper files of them. And it was a ghost town in there. Nobody was looking at them. No one cared about the enforcement until Trump came into office. And there was this, uh, you know, Russian collusion investigation, $30 million spent, no collusion found by uh, Mueller. We would like to know what's going on, whether the Foreign Agents Registration Act is a really serious thing that we should be taking serious, or whether it's just uh, in special cases when they want to prosecute it like in Manafort's case. To piggyback off what Susan just said, but also what you said, Carl, I mean, part of this is the, the when we talk about the double standards of justice, I mean, it's, it's the way that the government acts, right, in prosecuting these kids, not, not, just, not just the decision to prosecute or not prosecute, which I think in and of itself is, is important, but, you know, Paul Manafort, Andrew Weissman and his goons, okay, showed up at Paul Manafort's door and duly duly sworn federal agents sorry let's, duly let's sworn, not let's not fine, degenerate okay. into went in and patted down his 73 year old wife in you know while she was in bed in her bathrobe okay uh you know the i don't think they patted her down in the bed tom <laughs> the way that agents were sh- you know roger stone i mean all this stuff right so there's the, there's sort of the the heavy hand of the government that is used in certain situations and then in other situations not used at all. And I think that's, that that's also part of this, but they're also going back to what you said, Carl, it's possible Hunter Biden lied and then his dad wasn't sitting right next to him, but that's not the only piece of information. There's another piece that the IRS whistleblower said they wanted to do 12, 12 interviews. Um, they ended up only doing one because all the other ones were basically denied or spoiled in some way. But they interviewed Hunter Biden's partner, Rob Walker, and he talks about they were at the Four Seasons Hotel having lunch, and Joe Biden just swung by to say hi. 
And he says, I think Hunter Biden said, I may be trying to start a company or try to do something with these guys. And could you? And I think he, he meaning Joe Biden was like, if I'm around, then he'd show up. And the agent, the FBI agent asked, so you definitely got the feeling that this, that this was orchestrated by Hunter Biden to have like an appearance by his dad at that meeting just to kind of bolster your chances at making a deal work out? Walker answered, sure. The FBI agent continued, any times when he was in office or did you hear Hunter Biden say he was setting up a meeting with his dad with them while dad was still in office? Walker answered, yes. So again, and we've got testimony by Tony Bobulinski who said that Biden showed up at this meeting. These are all pieces of information. Again, if this were Donald Trump or his associates, the well, media that's would a, that's, absolutely that's the be hounding well, that's the, point the White House. I was going to make, Tom. You have this, this big question. The big question isn't when he filed his taxes, and it's not this gun charge. It's why was this guy making millions of dollars, the vice president's son and the future president's son, from no-show jobs with foreign governments or, or companies controlled by foreign governments? How is that okay? You know, the best thing that can be the best thing that can be said about this is that it was influence peddling, selling access to his father, which depending on the circumstances and what it entailed is a crime or not, or it's either sleazy or or can sometimes be a crime. Depends very much on the precise circumstances. But who I'm about to ask a question, and to ask it aloud is to answer it. Who thinks that if Donald Trump Jr. had done these kinds of deals with Trump, who just happened to walk by a table or that the media would think that was okay, not worth investigating, not worth discussing. Do you think the Democratic Party would be so sanguine about this and defend Donald Jr. on the floor of the House? Well, it would depend. If he was a recovering drug addict, maybe that would be a mark of bravery, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well said, Andy. You know, that reminds me of another aspect of this. Now, this is a political thing, not a legal thing. He signs an affidavit as required by federal law saying he's not a drug addict and doesn't have a correct, all these questions you have to answer on a federal gun form. He clearly lied about that. He hasn't denied lying about it. They're going to put him in a diversion program. That that strikes me as a good result. But this is the Democrats. This is Joe Biden. This is the party that half the party wants to outlaw handguns altogether. Joe Biden has been very outspoken on gun control. What What did Hunter Biden think he needed a gun for? What was he going to use it for? These are questions that should be asked. And again, not, not outside the legal realm, in the political realm, it seems it's fair comment. It's a fair question. And, and, the, and the Biden should have an answer for it. And they should be able to deal with it. And instead of saying how courageous this guy is, I think maybe they should apologize for that and express remorse or at least contrition. And again, the, the double standard is what troubles me. I, I just, you expect more, but as Tom says, you're, I'm continually being disappointed. Well, Susan, let's talk about uh, Barack Obama for a minute here. He's back in the news. He met with AOC and some other Democratic House members in Washington uh, over the past several days. And he criticized Senator Tim Scott and Nikki Haley. He's even weighed in yesterday on the rights of minorities in India in on the day of the Indian Prime Minister's state visit to Washington. So he's sort of back in the news. What do you make of his return to the stage at this point, and especially in light of Biden's continued low poll numbers and the general perception that that he's too old for the job, and here's Barack back in the limelight again? Well, it strikes me as that Barack appears uh, when Biden needs him the most. Last summer, he came out. Um, he hasn't been very vi- visible, uh, strikingly so, for a former president, 61 years old. 
certainly, uh, I remember covering the convention when everyone said that uh, Bill Clinton uh, was overshining uh, Barack Obama at his very own nominating convention. And, you know, Clinton was much more um, visible. And of course, he had his wife in the news all the time. So that probably was part of it. I covered a lot of racial issues during the Obama administration. And at the very end of his presidency, he announced that he was going to start this charity that would deal with younger black men and helping, assisting them in inner cities like Chicago. And it was called uh, My Brother's Keeper. And I haven't heard a lot about that. He could have been playing a key role in helping these inner cities. We've we've seen it, you know, Juneteenth was supposed to be this wonderful celebration. We saw shootings um, in several areas across the country, a terrible result of what was supposed to be a celebration of emancipation. And then now he criticizes Tim Scott for having an American dream story and for saying that, you know, the Democrats are shutting down all of the avenues that he used to create the American dream and things are, are improved in this country. You know, I just think that, you know, he was way, he weighs in when he wants to, but he's not um, the force that I thought he would be on this topic or others. And uh, he did come out in, in the campaign last year and that was, uh, that was very helpful for Democrats in the end, but he's not consistent about it. And, you know, I would like to do a story about where this charity is that he promised so much work on. Maybe I just don't know about it, but it certainly isn't. Um, you should ask your, editor, ask your editor. Starting a national that's, debate. That's, <laughs> that's something you should do. He, he might be sympathetic to that idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, Carl, what, what do you make of this uh, criticism of Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, especially? All former presidents are confronted with this choice. Do they want to, con- do they want to be a partisan hack or do they want to be a statesman? They know deep down they should choose the latter, as George W. Bush has done. It's 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 a surprising tem- a temptation that Democratic ex-presidents seem unable to resist. Jimmy Carter was very active in not just domestic politics but world world affairs for many years. For the longest time, people thought that you know he he got he he got this moniker, this unofficial title as the best ex-president, which um, Republicans privately gnashed their teeth at. They never thought that was the case. Uh, Dick Cheney once told me that he thought Carter's meddling in uh, North Korea should have got him prosecuted. That was the Logan Act. I'd never heard of it till then. Well, we've all heard of it now. Cheney was joking, but he was he was kidding on the square. Bill Clinton had the best excuse of all. Uh, he you know was the first president in a hundred years to be impeached successfully, and he and he wanted his wife to become president, so he had to stay in the game. But Barack Obama you know, had an iconic place. And if he's going to get back into the fray, you want, you wondered, and I was waiting for him to speak. And, and, you know, is he going to be the Barack Obama 2004 who spoke evocatively about our best, the best sides of Americans and how we're all deep down, whatever, however we vote sort of on the same team and decent people, or is he going to be uh, the Barack Obama, you know, who campaigns in the midterms and says nasty things about Republicans? Well, it turns out it's not the good Obama we got, it's the bad one. That's too bad. Going after the two Republican candidates who are people of color is a particularly bad look to me. They haven't they haven't criticized Obama directly. He to single them out seems what was that word you used? Churlish. Yeah. Churlish She's is a good a, word for it. I churlish. Thought, yeah. 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 I, I was I you know, it's a bit of a disappointment. But but to be fair to this 
he's the most popular Democrat in the country. And I would assume he's under tremendous pressure from friends and family and people he cares about to speak out and to, to, to help Biden. So I, I kind of want to give him a pass, but I, I hope that I hope you'll keep it on the what did Michelle Obama used to say? When they go low, we go high. Well, in this case, uh, they went high and he's gone low. So I, I hope he I hope we get some equilibrium there and he kind of remembers who he is. Tom, does it hurt Biden all, though, to have him out there? Because it does sort of heighten this contrast between what people liked about Obama and also his, you know, still relative youth and, and energy and Biden's obviously diminished capabilities. Is that a contrast that the White House is, is worried about or should be worried about? I don't think they're worried about it. I mean, quite frankly, anybody who's going to campaign for Joe Biden is going to be more youthful. And you know, I mean, <laughs> who, who are you going to get to campaign for him that's going to make him look good from that standpoint? Um so, I mean, the interesting thing with Obama, you know, Obama always had this really sort of tenuous relationship with Biden, didn't endorse him the first time, said Joe Biden, you know, right. like would screw everything up. He was a total, you know, really sort of down talked him in private, we've learned. And the other interesting thing about it is given where the Democratic Party, how quickly they've moved left, they now view Biden as more progressive in some ways than Obama. Obama was the guy who didn't come out in favor of gay marriage until Joe Biden accidentally said it on a Sunday show, and then it became policy. I mean, uh, so there were plenty of things looking back. Democrats now look back on Obama. They like him personally. Obviously, he's still got the charm and the charisma and all that. But they think he didn't do enough. He didn't He didn't push the envelope. He could have gone much further. Um, and in that sense, they see his presidency as perhaps underwhelming or wasted and, you know, not living up to, to the progressive potential. And so that's also another kind of undercurrent that when I see Obama come out now and he's talking to people like AOC, right, he's, he's, he's talking to the most progressive members of the party. And I think, you know, he is – uh, wanting to, I think, secure his legacy in the Democratic Party. I mean, in some ways, it's already secure. But, but um, as you mentioned, he's a he's always been a very political guy, and it's hard for him, I think, to stay on the sideline when he is, as Carl mentioned, still such a popular figure in the Democratic Party. I mean, he's he's not uh, unlike you and. Carl and me, if we were ex-presidents, we'd just be playing golf all day. I mean, that's, I don't think that's <laughs> probably good enough for Obama. Well, I, I do think that it's interesting. They did sort of bring him out in the midterms in the clutch, and he sort of delivered. Um, and that's sort of a role that you would think a former president would play within his party. It seems early for them to be bringing him out. I don't know why it would be happening now, although maybe the White House and the DNC doesn't have that much control over what he does. And I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall with that conversation between him and AOC. That must have been very, very interesting. But, you know, we have two Californians on, so I do want to talk about Adam Schiff and what it means for the Senate race out there. He was censured on Wednesday. He's only the 25th member to be subject to a censure. It's quite a scene. He uh, had to come to the front of the House chamber and stand there while the censure language was read by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. But, you know, if you watch the tape, it's really seemed like more of a political rally for Schiff. Carl, did he deserve the censure? And what are the politics of this, especially since he's running for Senate in California? Did he deserve the censure? Look, um, I was at a breakfast with Adam Schiff and other reporters at the beginning of this investigation. 
And I don't like to say that politicians lie, you know, particularly. I don't like to use that formulation because, for one thing, they all lie. <laughs> secondly, <laughs> secondly uh, the, they, well, let me rephrase that. They all say things that they know aren't the complete truth. But and, and, and maybe that, that's a good definition of their job is they're not supposed to tell the complete truth. But in this case, Adam Schiff said a number of things about the um, Robert Mueller investigation that proved to be factually incorrect. Now, I don't know what he knew, but he exaggerated what he did know. He said misleading things. He, he, he basically told everybody there that if we saw the information he had, you know, Trump would not only be impeached, but suggested he'd be indicted, that this Russia collusion stuff. And it turns out that Schiff was one of the key guys pushing it. It turned out there wasn't a lot there. There wasn't very much there. The dossier that he was enamored with turned out to be just a, just a complete a fabrication, actually, a p- collection of dishonest statements and speculation and just whiskey talk, just a bunch of garbage. And he, and by then he had to have known that. And when he couldn't get Trump impeached on the Russia stuff, he was a leading orchestrator of the Ukraine thing. So I understand why the House Republicans are angry at him. I, I just, I don't think that's the kind of thing, though, that censure was intended for. I think I think it's politics. It's it's hardball politics. It's ugly politics. But you know, there was a one of the, at some point during the rally, one of the Democratic hecklers shouted at the Republican floor managers, "You know, censure all of us." And I right. thought to myself, "Well, that wouldn't be a bad idea either." <laughs> but that's that's not really that's not really what it's supposed to be for. Oh, Susan, what about the politics out there? I mean, he's raising money around this. He's He's, I guess, sort of neck and neck in the polls out there with Katie Porter, right? Who's another uh, representative from the state. But is this going to help him and put him uh, put him closer to the nomination? He, he said he was proud of this. He was going to wear this as a badge of honor, and he's certainly trying to raise some money around it, right? Yeah. This is perfect for California Democratic primary politics, uh, especially when you're trying to prove your liberal bona fides because Dianne Feinstein, the complaint against her is that she was never liberal enough. Uh, that she catered to a lot of the defense industry in her state uh, over the course of her career. It's it's interesting to me. He he says uh, sent out a text, please rush an urgent donation to help me to fight back against these political attack. And uh, we don't know how much he raised in the last twenty four hours, but I imagine it's in the millions. Uh, he hauled in six point five million in the first quarter of uh, this year and. He's doing a little bit better than Katie Porter, who's at 4.5 million. But and certainly, certainly, it's good for him in in, in uh, California. California doesn't matter for the in terms of Repub- if what Republicans think about the next their prospects because uh, Trump is is terribly unpopular here amongst even amongst most Republicans. So I don't think it's going to hurt him. Can only help Adam Schiff. Tom, what do you think? I think it will absolutely help him. Uh, in California in that primary. And I think he absolutely deserved it. I mean, this is where I different, you know, Santos, he lied during the campaign. He lied about his resume. He lied about all that stuff. Right. And Carl says, well, you know, everybody in Congress lies and, and that's true, but this is not, this is different. Okay. This guy was the chairman of the committee investigating the president of the United States. He, he leaked information. He was chairman of the evident house intelligence. Committee. Yeah, exactly. So he's in a position of, of, extreme power in the House of Representatives. He lied to the American public. He abused the trust of the American public. And he was leaking information that he knew was untrue. 
he he wrote a letter that contradicted Devin Nunes and said he was lying when in fact we found out later that Devin Nunes was actually more truthful and was his his letter was more accurate. So look, there's there's a there's a class of folks in Congress that, you know, on the right it's like it's Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates, and on the left it's Cory Bush and it's, you know, these are sort of, you know, in the clown car. Yeah, well, yeah. but I mean, they're 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 almost caricatures. Adam Schiff is in a different category, um, and that's why I think he's one of the most odious members has been uh, over the last few years because of the way that he presents himself as a as a as a person of authority. He was in a position of authority, and he abused that he abused that position and the trust of the American people. And so I think he even you know people are like, well, this is a distraction for Republicans, and they shouldn't do it, and all that. I don't have a problem with that. I think he actually really did deserve it, and. As I said, I think it's actually going to help him get elected to be senator of California. And it was an exact party line vote. Nobody crossed party lines on this at all. And Carl, does that just tell us that this division that we've got is just here to stay? And it even applies to something like this where you think they're, you know, on principle, uh, you would think someone would think, you know, if you have access to uh, classified documents, you should, and and you're the head of the and the intelligence committee of all things, you shouldn't be abusing that information and telling people things that aren't true. Well, th- that's the that's the point why Adam Schiff has been singled out by the Republicans. The House Intelligence Committee for many years was one of the last bastions on Capitol Hill bipartisanship. And you know the old adage about politics stops at the water's edge. Well, that was never true. <laughs> it was always honored in the breach. But 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 Schiff went well, well beyond that. And he and and his. His spats with Devin Nunes, as Tom pointed out, were, were the key there. You had these two Californians, the ranking member and the chairman of the committee. And these guys should have worked together. And instead, Schiff used the intelligence agencies um, as you know political shillelaghs. And and it was it's indicative of a larger problem. And the Republicans are in a way taking out on Schiff what they see as a problem with 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 the FBI and with and with these networks, CNN and MSNBC. You hired these. Ex, you know, these FBI, if you get in trouble at the FBI, if you're censured at the FBI, fired, then you get a job at CNN as long as you're willing to criticize Donald Trump. And they, they see Schiff as the point man in that and also a symbol of it. Having said that, I agree with Tom. I, I, I understand why they did it, but I also think it'll do nothing. It probably should help him in California. Now, the Senate race there you have that he's trying to succeed Feinstein. The party line on that is that she suffers from shingles. And she may well have suffered from shingles. It's a very painful disease. But she, what she really suffers from apparently is dementia. And there's a question whether she'll make it to November. There's an inner party fighting on that. Some people would like her to, to be forced to step down for Gavin Newsom to and appoint I th- I some. Think, I think, Carl, just, I'll just interrupt for some I think you've answered Tom's question. Who is the one person you could send out there to campaign for Joe Biden who would make him look young and <laughs> vital? But, but go ahead. Good yes. point, Feinstein, yeah, <laughs> for Diane, in any event. So you've got these two, Katie Porter and Schiff are the front runners. But the polling there, they're at 14 and 15%, respectively. They're, you've got 47% of the American, of the, excuse me, of the California electorate haven't made up their minds. A couple of establishment Republicans are in the race. And, and, and former Dodger great Steve Garvey <laughs> is looking at the race. And he's, you know, I think what he's seeing is, the free for all in their California jungle primary that resulted in Arnold Schwarzenegger being elected governor. And that's sort of Garvey's game plan. So in that field, suddenly shifts all in the news 
and he's in the news in the LA Times. Believe me, the LA Times are going to endorse. They're not going to endorse. They're going to endorse Adam Schiff. They're not going to endorse Steve Garvey if he led to the Dodgers to the World Series. And so I think Schiff properly sees that among progressives in the Democratic Party, activists voting primaries anyway, this is going to do nothing but help him. So what the Republicans could do, and they've done it before. Uh, they did it with Elizabeth Warren, who wanted to be head of the Consumer Product Safety Commission, uh, the, the new thing that she created, and they blackballed her on that. So she ran for Senate and won. And now they're stuck with her for as long as she wants to be there. Uh, they could actually, this could actually backfire on the Democrats in this way, and it could help Adam Schiff become the next senator from California. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> something we will keep an eye on. I want to thank. Susan Crabtree, Carl Cannon, and Tom Bevan. We're here most Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. So bookmark this podcast. Come back often. As ever, I urge you to go to Real Clear Politics. Read one article from a writer or publication with whom you disagree. Thank you for listening. Until next time, for Real Clear Politics, I'm Andrew Walworth.